0: And he will be the stability of your times. That's what we need. Because we're kind of a little bit uh, over the top right now as a world. He will be the stability of your times. Father God, uh, we claim that verse even as we're wise and careful. We want you to be the stability even in the midst of what seems like unstable times. Father, we do pray for those who have become ill. We ask for your grace and wisdom for those who will care for those who are ill and nurse them back to health. We pray, Father, that we would be wise and careful And yet we would keep our eyes on you as you are the sovereign God. We ask, Father, that as we turn to your word today, that you would impart truth to us, that you would speak to our hearts and our heads, that we may be transformed, not just intellectually, but by what we say and what we do, what we think, our attitudes, and what we do not do. We ask, Father, that your inspired and errant word would move in and through us. It's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Well, today we're in 1 Corinthians 7 for the third week in a row. And the last two weeks we've talked on marriage. Today we're going to talk a little bit more on singleness. Uh, Christy Adams is an author... She's a vocational Christian worker, and she's single. She's single by conviction, single by choice, single by spiritual gifting. From time to time, people wonder about why this vivacious gal is single. She talks about the certain guy who comes up to her periodically and says, you know, I have a friend that would be perfect for you. You really ought to meet him. And she says, No, no, I'm really not interested. And one time when she said that, he said, Well, I don't really believe you. A woman can't be happy without a man. Oh my. That doesn't parallel what I often hear in my counseling office. Just saying. So she brushed him off, and then a month or two later, he came up to her again and said, I really have this friend, this friend that you ought to meet. He would be perfect for you. And she again said, no, I'm really not interested. And he said, you will never be closer to Christ than if you are married. I think that is not understanding Ephesians 5 very well. Sometimes the church has acted that way. Sometimes perhaps we have acted in such a way that we have considered romance and marriage to be the highest good when Scripture tells us that the highest good is to know God, to pray to God, to be devoted to God, to grow in our relationship with God. That by far is the highest good. And we ought to keep that in our mind and not turn marriage or singleness into idols. Idols are things that we take our eyes off of God and place on His creation. That's idolatry. I think of this passage in Luke. It's not our main passage, but I want to read it to us. Luke 20, 28 to 36, it says this. And they, that is the Sadducees, ask him, Jesus, a question, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man dies, a man's brother dies, having a wife but no children, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now there were seven brothers. They're giving this scenario. Now there were seven brothers. The first took a wife and died without children. And the second and the third took her. And likewise, all seven left no children and died. A parenthetical remark, I would think by the third or fourth, they would be sleeping with their eyes open. I'm just saying. (laughs) Afterward, the woman also died. In the resurrection, therefore, whose wife will the woman be? For the seven had her as a wife. And Jesus said to them, The sons of this age, that's us, Marry and are given in marriage, but those who are considered worthy to attain to that age, heaven, through faith in Christ, and to the resurrection from the dead, neither marry nor are given in marriage, that is, marriage is not part of the next life, for they cannot die anymore, because they are equal to angels and are sons of God, being sons of the resurrection. Now there's an awful lot going on in this text, but more than anything else, what's going on in the text is this. Whether single or whether married, keep your eyes on the Lord. The highest goal is not singleness. The highest goal is not marriage. The highest goal is to focus on the Lord. And the Sadducees had taken their eyes off of that fact, and they had considered marriage to be the highest good, even assuming it was in heaven And Jesus answers them and gives us some information about heaven. But what he's really saying is, whether you're single or whether you're married, live for the glory of God. I think that's what we're going to see in today's text. I want to pick up. It's a rather long text. It's 1 Corinthians 7. I want to read verses 25 to 38. Now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. What he's saying is not, this is my opinion. Take it for what an opinion is worth. He's not saying that. He's saying that while Jesus was on earth during the incarnation, walking among us, this is not a topic Jesus spoke on, but God's spirit led Paul to write these words. This is every bit as scripture as any other part. I think that in view of the present distress, we'll talk about that. It is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Don't seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none. Those who mourn as though they were not mourning. Those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing. Those who buy as though they had no goods. Those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of the world is passing away. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord. How to please the Lord. If anyone thinks that he is not behaving properly towards his betrothed, if his passions are strong and it has to be, let him do as he wishes. Let them marry. It is no sin. But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity but having desire under control and has determined this in his heart to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. So then he who marries his betrothed does well. He who refrains from marriage will do even better. A really balanced look at marriage singleness relationships in Scripture has to come to the conclusion that marriage is good and singleness is good. That's what Scripture teaches. We only go to the second chapter of the Bible in Genesis chapter 2 to discover that It is not good that man shall be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And God fashions Eve out of Adam, and that becomes the first husband and wife. You see an entire book in the Old Testament, Song of Songs, given to marriage. There's a major part of Ephesians 5, given to marriage. Proverbs 5, given to marriage. 1 Peter 3, given to marriage. There's a lot in the Bible On marriage. But if we're careful, we would also see that there's a fair amount in the Bible given to singleness, more by example than by text. We have Jesus Christ who remains single. We have the Apostle Paul, whether he was married at one time or not. By the time we get to the New Testament writings, and the 60 churches he plants, and the three missionary journeys that he goes on, he is clearly single. We have Anna in the first two chapters of Luke, and we have purportedly Martha and Mary in Luke chapter 10, and we have 1 Corinthians 7, which largely is given both to marriage and even more to singleness. The fact that Paul would write about singleness in first century Israel is utterly remarkable. We have to understand that he lived in a day and age where there were very few, if any, reputable jobs for a woman to provide for herself for the rest of her life unmarried. That would have been the exception, not the rule. And so what we have is young gals and young guys at their Bat mitzvah and bar mitzvah at age 13, soon after being declared men and women, or women and men, they would soon be married and they would settle down together and together provide for their family. That would be the culture in which Paul writes, and yet to that culture, he says, I have a word from the Lord for you singleness is also very good. The Bible says marriage is good, singleness is good. The church must say that marriage is good, singleness is good. In fact, in this chapter, Paul uses the word for spiritual gift when he describes singleness. It's the word charisma or charismata. Let me read 1 Corinthians 7, 7 and 8. I wish that all were as I myself am, single, but each has his own gift, charisma, from God, one of one kind and one of another, to the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. The implication is that among the spiritual gifts of Teaching or administration or evangelism or giving or service or discernment or helps. Among those gifts, there is actually a spiritual gift that God gives to some individuals that they will thrive best for the kingdom of God as singles. Why are spiritual gifts given in the Bible? There's only two purposes ever given. To bring glory to God and to build up his local church. And so those who have whatever spiritual gift entrusted to us at the moment of conversion, they're always for the purpose to bring glory to God and to build up the church. And some have the spiritual gift of singleness. Is this true for all singles? No, the text is rather clear. There are some singles who are single for a season, but they're praying that God might bring a mate into their life But while they're single for a season, they ought to take advantage of a less anxious life, Paul's words, and devote themselves even more to getting to know God, to serving God, to living for God. They are less divided, verse 34, Paul's words. Because if you're married, you know it is true what Paul writes. We have are, are focused in more directions. It's just true. I have a wife. I have four kids. I have a son-in-law. I have a grandbaby. They take the focus away from what I could place on the Lord. That doesn't give me an excuse. It doesn't mean that I now can no longer focus on God because the whole text says all of us in whatever state we're in, we need to focus on the Lord. But there is truth to the fact that I could be less divided in life as a single than I am in my present situation. Though Paul says marriage is good, singleness is even better. Now, he talks about a specific situation. In verse 26, he says the present distress. Verse 29, he says the appointed time. What exactly is he referring to? Scholars are divided almost evenly, a little bit less for the first possibility, a little bit more for the second. The first possibility is he's referring to the time between when Jesus left Acts 1.11 Remember, he ascended and he will ascend again on the Mount of Olives in the same way. And when he returns, we're about 2,000 years from that moment, right? That's a possibility. I don't think that's what the text is referring to. That's legitimate if that's what you hold. A lot of scholars do. I think what he's referring to is specific scenarios that are going on in Corinth. We know right now that there is a major famine going on in Corinth. We know that the boot of Rome is on Corinth. They are an occupied nation. And what Paul is saying is, during the present distress, it's a lot easier to focus on kingdom endeavors, to focus on growing the kingdom, if you are a single person and your attention is not divided, than if you have to focus very specifically on a husband or a wife and children and on grandchildren. Regardless, Paul says that all of us, all of us, whatever state we're in, need to carve out time. We can't have a myopic vision of only taking care of our needs. We need to be advancing the kingdom of God. So if you're a single for a season, seize the opportunity to grow closer to the Lord. To prepare yourself for another season when you may be married. If you're single because of a spiritual gift, then you have all of life to continue to grow closer and closer to be not the Martha, but the Mary of Luke chapter 10 that is really wanting to devote oneself fully to the Lord. If we're married, we still can't have that myopic vision in which we're only focused on the family and we're not focused on the advancement of God's kingdom. Then Paul adds a few more words. Let me read 29 to 31. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none. Those who mourn as though they were not mourning. Those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing. Those who buy as they who have no goods. And those who deal with the world as though who had no dealings with it, for the present form of the world is passing away. Notice Paul did not say, stop having a wife. Stop mourning. Stop buying. Stop selling. He didn't say stop. He said, live as though that is not your focus. The Greek language, I think, is superior at this point to the English language. What it's saying is this. If you're married, of course you focus on your spouse. Of course you focus on your children and your grandchildren. But again, don't be myopic. Don't forget that there is a necessity in all of our lives to spend time getting to know God, to growing in devotion to God, to serving God and to advance His kingdom. If you're not making time for those things, then you're doing what the enemy of your soul, Satan, wants you to do. God wants otherwise. If you're single and you're focusing just on the buying and the selling, just your job, you have actually traded one divided focus for another divided focus. And again, we are out of step with what the Lord wants from us. A divided focus is rather easy. It can be a spouse. It can be children. It can be a grandchild. It can be a job. If God has allowed you for a season or permanently to be a single, don't trade one divided focus for another. God didn't allow you a season of singleness so that you could spend even more time on sports center or your iPad or your iPhone or Spotify or whatever. God has given us whatever state we're in to focus not only on what our worldly responsibilities are but also for the kingdom a number of years ago I pastored in uh, Texas we kind of restarted a failed church in Texas and one of the attenders was Abraham Kuravella. Abraham comes from India and at the time he was our organist so that tells you how many years ago that probably was and uh, Abraham at the time was simultaneously working on an MD in dermatology and a PhD in immunology. Uh, he was studying both and he received both degrees. So after that, he began two separate jobs working in immunology and in dermatology. A while after that, he felt the call of God on his life, and he began to work on a master's degree in theology, and then he worked on a Ph.D. and completed it in theology, and he moved to Dallas, from Houston to Dallas, where today he is the senior professor of preaching and pastoral ministry at dallas theological seminary now he also has a dermatology practice and he has a little bit of research still so if you haven't been following along he has three earned doctorates and two full-time jobs and a part-time job because of people like abraham i had to dumb down my sermon all the time yeah abraham is single um single by conviction, single by spiritual giftedness. Uh, I knew him back when he was in his 20s, and he would say very constantly, God has called me to be single because I believe God has placed on my heart that I can do more for the kingdom of God as a single than I can married. That's not true for all of us. might not even be true for most of us, but it's true for some of us, and it is true for Abraham, it is the spiritual giftedness of singleness. So what conclusions can you and I draw from the text? I've got six. First, both marriage and singleness both come with difficulties. Back in Genesis 2, verse 18, it says, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And then God fashioned Eve out of Adam. Loneliness exists for singles. Sometimes loneliness exists for marrieds, especially those who are in difficult marriages. But all of us need relationship. It doesn't matter if you're single by conviction and choice, single for a season, married in a great marriage, married in not such a great marriage. All of us are created for relationship. So that doesn't change no matter what situation you're in. Singles need married. Married need singles. We need to interact with one another. We need to bless all of these states of life as right and normal and good in the kingdom and in the church. And we need one another and we need to develop relationships. No person is an island. No person stands alone. Second, I feel awkward being the guy who speaks on singleness. I've never really been single. Uh, three weeks out of college, Betty Ann and I got married. So I actually had three singles edit the sermon, which I never do. Uh, all females, by the way. Um, they did a great job. Uh, by the time they were done, they had written the sermon in my initial... No, that's not totally true. But in, in having some singles edit it, and also talking to some singles, uh, I've heard a few phrases that they don't appreciate. So I want to share a few of those. Uh, You're not getting younger. You have to get yourself out there. Probably not really helpful. Uh, Why are you single? It may be that somebody has a spiritual gift of singleness and God has gifted them that way. Or they might be single for a season and they really want to be married and you can... Pray quietly for a future mate for them, but don't push them. Or if you would dress a little snappier, you might not be single. Probably doesn't help to edit how they look or the like. Uh, Just be a friend. Whether they're married or they're single, just be a friend. We don't need to be an uninvited coach in people's lives. They probably don't appreciate that, whether married or single. Third, if you're single and you are single by conviction, by giftedness, again, don't trade divided interests for more divided interests. I think that's exactly what Satan wants us to do. If God has gifted you a singleness, or you're single for a season, don't look for other divided interests. Seize the opportunity to grow closer to your Savior, to spend more time with your Savior, to be committed to your Savior. We live in a day and age where we trade divided interests all the time. 50% of American adults are single, 50%. Uh, Some by choice, some not, but 50%. And we tend to say, well, all right, I'm not married. Maybe I want to be, maybe I don't. And then we fill it with other divided interests. And what does Paul say? Don't live for buying. Don't live for selling. Don't live for mourning. Don't live for marriage. Live for the kingdom. Don't trade divided interests. I think that's what Satan wants us to do. Whether we're married or single, he wants us to be too busy for the kingdom. He wants us to be too busy to pray. He wants us to be too busy to be in the word. He wants us to be too busy with our lives to serve and advance his glory. And We need to guard against that and make sure that we're not buying into what Satan wants us to buy into this life that is so filled with stuff and things and good things that we have pushed God out. And he's second or third or tenth in our lives. Um, Fourth, obviously one of the greatest benefits of being single for a season or by giftedness is your availability. That's what the text says. The one who is married is so focused on the anxiety of marriage that sometimes we are not as available as we can be. But a single can be incredibly available to the promptings of God to do remarkable things for the kingdom. Don't look at that as a curse. Look at that as a blessing from the Lord. Fifth, if you're single but only for a season, and you want to be married, fish where you're going to find somebody that is smoking hot for the Lord. You didn't think I was going to say that, did you? (laughs) That is smoking hot for the Lord. There are all sorts of places to fish for a potential spouse. But a lot of those places, you're not going to find somebody that is hot for Jesus. Where is somebody who's white hot for Jesus? They're doing things for Jesus. That's where we ought to be. And finally, the church has to be adamantly pro-marriage and adamantly pro-single. Because the Bible is adamantly pro-marriage and the Bible is adamantly pro-single. And so if we are going to be biblical, we are going to follow what Scripture says. And to go back to my opening illustration, Christy Adams does not need a man. She doesn't. She might desire that. It's a good desire, Paul says. In her case, she doesn't desire it. And why should people look down on her because that's not the calling that God has placed in her life. I love how 1 Corinthians 10, 31 puts it. So whether you eat or drink, let me paraphrase. So whether you're married or unmarried, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. That's what God is calling in your life and my life to do and be. Let's pray. Father God, uh, I thank you for the opportunity that is ours to continue to go through 1 Corinthians. We've gone through now the first seven chapters and still a lot to go through, a lot to learn from. Continue to grow us, mold us, teach us through your word. Thank you for your inspired word. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen.